good morning, everyone. This is Linda Santavica on Pressing Beyond. No matter the goal or the dream, when we apply ourselves, we come up against some unyielding obstacles, simply defined as rejections, one of the hardest challenges to press beyond. And some of us just throw in the towel, but not so with Lisa Ann Goldsmith. Lisa Ann Goldsmith is a gifted and talented actor, but what really sets her apart is she is constantly working. For starters, she not only commands the stage as an actor, but also as a director. And with her extensive experience in the classics, she teaches Shakespeare and add to that list of credits, she is skilled in voice and dialects which is why she is pursued by numerous productions as a dialect coach. Whether performing on stage, sitting in the director's chair, or acting in front of the camera, Lisa Ann has proven that persistence is key to reaching goals. Good morning, Lisa Ann. Good morning, Linda. You must be exhausted at the same time exhilarated because you just got off one terrific run and I, I had the privilege of seeing it yesterday I was so excited that that you guys came Oscar and Walt produced by the Kinetic Theater Company and for everybody who didn't get a chance to see it it's closed but hopefully it'll return someplace because it was everything an audience would love to see I love that I know after a performance, sometimes people are relieved and some people are sad. No, I could have run this one for a while. The three of us were in the guys' dressing room last night before the last show, and uh, we were all saying we all have to work to move this to another theater because it was a joy from start to finish. It really was. And we could keep running it because we're so comfortable with each other that every mm -hmm. night we find new stuff, and it doesn't always work that way. You know, plus I think it's just it's a really good play right now for the current climate. It has three actors, right? So it's a small cast. It has one set, which cuts down the budget needs. It's got so it's got one, also one set of costumes. It's based on a historical meeting between Oscar Wilde and Walt Whitman, who was Oscar Wilde's one of the people that he had looked up to since he was 11 years old. So. And I play Louisa Whitman, who is Walt Whitman's sister-in-law. And Walt Whitman had a paralytic stroke when he was 52 years old and came to live with his brother and his sister-in-law, who took care of him through his recovery for 11 years. And that's another thing. The relationships on stage were very, they melded well together. I mean, you know, you actually saw uh, the caretaker in Louisa. I want everybody to know out there that Lisa Ann and I have a lot of things in common. Mm -hmm. We collaborate together on one of the boards, but we are native New Yorkers. I mean, Lisa Ann, we know there's eight to nine million people in New York, but how many are native New Yorkers who That's are born right. there, who live there, who are raised there? So we could coffee talk through this whole podcast. Oh, we could talk like this the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but but what was interesting was last night when I was listening to Walt Whitman character, and I remember on Long Island, I said, yeah, I forgot. You know, we went to the <gasps> Walt Whitman Mall. And, right. you know. yeah. All right. Speaking of New York, before you got to Pittsburgh, you were working in New York. 
Yeah, I was. I, I was never getting a break. I was never getting a big break. You know, I kept mm-hmm. doing whatever I could do. I started going out of town to do jobs in regional theater. I wanted to get a master's degree mm-hmm. because I wanted to start applying for associate artistic director jobs and a lot of them required a master's. So I applied for a master's in directing to a lot of places. I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't even get an interview, right? And I already had a directing resume. I was already a union director. Couldn't get an interview. Finally made friends with one of the people in the office at Yale. And they were like, well, you're already a director. They want people they can mold. You already have a resume. You're already established. Right. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I was at Actors Equity, you know, in New York one day and there was up on the board, Point Park Conservatory was auditioning mid-career performers for this MFA program. And we would also teach in the conservatory. So literally on the spot, I went in and Robin Walsh from Point Park was there and I did a monologue, two monologues, and she offered me a spot on the spot. You jumped on it. Well, yes, my partner at the time and I, and he was a musician, so could kind of work anywhere, Mm -hmm. came to Pittsburgh to check it out. And we thought, all right, three years, we can do this for three years. I'm sure you had a wonderful journey through the three-year program. I did. I was the only one of, there were six of us, and I was the only one who not only took a full uh, complement of classes every semester, but also taught two of my own classes every semester. That's fantastic. For you get your MFA and now what? Um, so I've been working in Pittsburgh because when we the first year of the MFA, the stipend they gave us was like enough to live on for a month, let mm-hmm. alone the entire year. So I started taking acting jobs in Great. Pittsburgh. By the time I had finished grad school, I was known. I was starting to get work. Because I had better connections through grad school, I started getting work outside of Pittsburgh regional work. Mm-hmm. And I bought a house here. So there was no reason for me to move back to New York right. at the moment because I was I had a connection. I had a manager who's New York and L.A. Everything was working. There wasn't right. any to really make the change. And I think that Pittsburgh now is very similar to me. And you were a glint in your father's eye. But in 1980s, New York was very much what Pittsburgh is today. And I personally think Pittsburgh, there's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly felt that too. And I, I also thought that Pittsburgh felt like the boroughs to me, like Brooklyn, yes. Queens, when I first got here. Correct. So I definitely felt comfortable. I do. I think anybody can make of Pittsburgh what they want. I love the city. I will admit that something about the pandemic made me reconnect with, really reconnect with my friends and family at home. And I I really miss it. Yes. I was saying here, but I also realized a, a lot of what I miss are the memories. I want to talk about, you have so much. When I look at your resume, it's like, it's it's mind boggling that you managed to do so much and in some really quality productions. So what I want to hear from you, what are the ones, some of the productions that you did that are really close to your heart? Because I can see on your resume, I can pick them out, but I want to hear it from you. I think probably the job with the most profile that I've ever done was a new play a new black comedy called Windfall at Arkansas Rep because it was directed by Jason Alexander, who uh, people may know played George Costanza. On, on the, the show Seinfeld. about nothing. <laughs> you the sign from yeah. the series, yes. Um, and let me just say he is not George Costanza. Jason mm-hmm. is smart and funny, intuitive. 
And then Lisa Ann, you just recently did something that was quite outstanding. Yeah, my first job coming out of the pandemic. So I hadn't worked in 18 months, Mm -hmm. 19 months, of course, like everybody else was the Wicked Witch of the West and Miss Gulch in The Wizard of Oz, produced by Pittsburgh CLO at Heinz Field. Yeah, it was it was like a Broadway production. It was enormous. It was by far the biggest thing I've ever been a part of. And that... to play such, a, such an iconic role, oh my God. I got a copy of my laugh from the sound designer, and now it's my ringtone on my phone. I love it. I every time, yeah. <laughs> Now, also, too, one thing you do, and uh, you've been doing this every year as Mrs. Cratchit. Yeah, a musical Christmas carol. You're also every year, you're, you are the Mrs. Cratchit of Pittsburgh. Also, Lisa Ann, aside from your role as an actor, you also, we've spoke about this, you've done so much directing. Mm-hmm. And you also, you're pursued as a dialect coach. I've always had a, a penchant and a predilection for dialects. When I got into grad school was when I learned uh, the International Phonetic Alphabet and uh, Edith Skinner, that whole thing. And so I learned pedagogically how to teach dialects. That's amazing. Which was kind of amazing. I mean, I still think you need the ear and the bottom line mm-hmm. is that it's every dialect, every accent has a certain music and that's something you have to hear. But you can teach the sound changes. Uh, so that's okay. been really amazing. I love doing that. What about if you had a preference? I mean, this is hard to ask because when you love something so much, which you do as an actor and as a director, delineate the difference though, because we all know each requires strong skills, which you have, but do you have a preference or is it just you, you have a passion for both of them? So I can't imagine how you would prefer one above the other. It would be hard to give up either one. I think in my heart of hearts, the reason I became a director was that as an actor, I would do my role, but then I would look at the show around me and there would be opportunities that the director was missing for a bit or a moment, um, which is why I became a director. So I think in my heart of hearts, I am a director because I like to see a complete overall vision. But I also recognize that being an actor makes me a better director and being a director makes me a better actor. So I don't want to stop either one because I think they feed each other. Right. Simultaneously. Yeah. Now, given you have already mentioned some of the more, some of the highlights of your career, I want to know because you also worked in front of the camera. And in addition to being directed by some of the more renowned actors, who are some of the more favorable actors that you worked alongside? So in film, the nicest by far was Jake Gyllenhaal. I had a scene with him and Hank Azaria in Love and Other Drugs. And it was directed by Edward Zwick, um, who did Shakespeare in Love, amongst other things. We were running through the blocking and Jake wasn't on set and Ed was a little annoyed and just told me where to go, told me and Hank where to go, blah, blah, blah. And just as we were finishing up, Jake runs in and he's got sweats on and he clearly overslept. And uh, he's like, I'm here, I'm here. So Ed shows us our stuff. And as soon as he releases us to go to the makeup trailer, Jake comes over to me and takes my hand and says, hey, I'm Jake. I'm so sorry I was late, which was just, you know, I'm like, you're Jake 
Gyllenhaal. <laughs> and Hank Azaria, interestingly enough, was the the famous quote unquote actor that I've worked with who felt the closest to home for me because I grew up a good portion of my childhood in Forest Hills, Queens, and so did Hank. So the first thing I said to him when we were released, I was like, you grew up in Forest Hills. And he was like, yeah, did you? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, can you name all the streets from Austin in alphabetical order? Can you? And I'm like, yeah, Austin, Burns, Clyde, Dartmouth, Exeter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was really fun. The biggest challenge I've ever worked with was Russell Crowe in the next three days. I had a scene uh, with him and Elizabeth Banks, and that was directed by Paul Haggis. We were yes, waiting on set. Yeah, we were waiting on set for an hour and 10 minutes before Russell decided to show up. He sits down. Paul says, do you want to run through the lines? We run through the lines. He's never looked at me. And I only had one line. I was playing a prison guard and he and Elizabeth, uh, Russell's character is visiting his wife, Elizabeth's character in prison. And they have to have a conversation that gets loud and I have to come over to the table and cut it down. Right. So we go for the first take. And now, again, Russell hasn't looked at me, hasn't said hello to me, nothing oh. like that. I come over with my line. I interrupt them and he looks at me and we do it again and blah, blah, blah few times and then they go to change camera angles and I'm standing and talking to my friend Matt who was working props and I hear Lisa Ann and I'm looking around I don't know who it is I'm talking to Matt and I hear Lisa Ann and I look back and it's Russell and he's sitting at the table and he goes come here and I walked over and I'm like yeah and he goes no come here and I like leaned on the table I'm like yeah and he said you can't stand on your mark and I'm like well, it's my mark and Oscar winning director Paul Haggis told me to stand there. So I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, that's where I'm going to stand. Right. And he said, look behind you. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you see that camera? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, when you're standing on that on your mark, I can't be seen by that camera. And that's not good. Oh, he's blocking his scene. <laughs> yeah. And I said, that's not good for you. And he just like looked at me and started laughing. And he was like, no, no, I mean, it's not good for the shot. And I was like, whatever. And I walked away from him. And from that moment on, I was his best friend. Oh, that's amazing. Because, that's you know, amazing. he wanted to know if I really, you know, if I was that person that interrupted, that tough person that right. interrupted. Right. You know? And I was like, I know you're Russell Crowe, but that doesn't mean you're a better actor than me. That's it right. You're, you're Russell Crowe, the actor. You're not the director. Right. He had Paul Haggis send me a crew jacket and all this stuff. I'm telling you, your experience is so extensive, but I want to know before we get to something really fun, because you know, the podcast is about how all walks of life have pressed beyond challenges to get to where they are. And I know you, Lisa Ann, we gotten to know each other. And because you are always working, I don't believe good things happen without hard work. I would like to know some of the challenges that you have pressed beyond to be so established because the career, the industry that, well, I can say we, because I'm also in the industry, but it's not easy. This is probably one of the hardest industries to pursue, let alone to be working as much as you do. You don't have a secret. You're on a mission and I want to know what are the challenges that you had to the hurdles you jump through to continue to work as much as you do. You know, I was young when I went to college. I was in an, uh, I took two-year SP, two-year specialized placement, did junior high school in two years instead of three years. So I was 16 when I got to college. 
one of the reasons I wanted to get to college so early was to get out of my house because I had a very, very stereotypical, overbearing, smothering Jewish mother. And that's not the person I am, right? So I left home when I was really young and finished college by the time I was 20 with a theater degree. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have really have a guide. Like all of these kids, I coach a lot of kids for college auditions, you know, and I've gotten... Mm -hmm kids over the last 10 years into the top five programs in the country, sometimes repeatedly. And I often say to them, take everything I say and really take it to heart because I didn't have someone to tell me what to do. So when I got out of college, I didn't know how to get an agent. I didn't know how to get auditions. Uh, you know, like I didn't know any of that. So it was a challenge being self-motivating without having the pathway. In your case, yeah, you didn't have that superior guidance. And so within your own tuition and your passion, because it is, it's an industry that's saturated with rejection. And it's- Oh my so God, I just got rejected twice this week. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I understand that in the publishing sense too, it's just in every industry. Right. I mean, I feel like, look, like I don't have, I feel like my accomplishments are probably much smaller than you do, but I've always felt like there is something, there's something I'm working towards. There is some project, something great, some moment of greatness, some, not just moment, but like some extended period of greatness that I am supposed to be doing. You're destined for it. I really, truly believe that, Lisa Ann. I think that everybody who is on a path chasing their passions or whatever you want to call it, and some people say it's my calling and my purpose, I believe this, that when people stay their course, yes, you will encounter that moment, that moment of greatness. And just also to realize you've had lots of millions of moments of greatness. Absolutely. But you I, mean, have been, I guess I mean, I guess I mean some sort of recognition that is. It didn't happen yet. Yeah. And I've had these little like tastes of it, you know, right. and it's not right. like I ever wanted to be, you know, like I asked my acting kids, I'm like, why are you in class? And if someone says I want to be a movie star, I'm like, then why are you in acting class? Because one thing has nothing to do with the other. If you love what you do, you do it for the joy. That's right. And you never, well, I mean, the Bardcast is a Perfect example. Oh, well, we're going to get to that. We're on a podcast now called Pressing Beyond, but we have another podcast that is garnering a huge audience. It's global, it is fun, and it's also very educational. So let's talk about this. It's called The Bardcast. It's Shakespeare, you bleep. Yes. So okay. Uh, first of all, I know that you're partnering up with somebody. Yeah. So my co-host and co-creator is, you know, he might as well be my brother. His name is Owen Thompson. He's a dear, dear friend for several decades. And when the pandemic started, now this is one of the things I was talking about when I said I reconnected with my family and friends mm -hmm. at home, which, which makes me miss New York so much. Mm -hmm. We got on Skype just to chat and we started talking about Shakespeare, which is something we always do. Um, and then we got on again and we started talking about Shakespeare, which is something we always do. And Owen said, we should just do a podcast. So in June of 2020, first week in June 2020, the Bardcast was born and our first episode was called Filthy Shakespeare. And it's about, frankly, all of the filthy jokes in Shakespeare that your teachers in high school never tell you were there. And, and, and you have to know them if you're going to be doing Shakespeare. That's right. You have to know. You that. have to know it. So since the birth of Bardcast, 
it has evolved. And now a lot of your episodes are, they cover a lot of different intricacies of the bar. So you and I, when we sat down that day, you even told me that, you know, it requires so much research. Yeah, it really does. And I love it. You know, I said to Owen at some point, you know, over the last year, I'm like, if we could get to the point where we have enough listeners, so this is, and we had money coming in from ad sources and whatever, if this could be all I have to do, I would be cool with that. That would be awesome. Because you love it that much. I think that's great. And yet, interestingly enough, we're doing this thing called Shakespeare Sunday. All during the pandemic, we would get a bunch of our amazing actor friends together on Zoom and read Shakespeare plays. And, you know, we're working our way through the canon. And from that came two live streamed performances. The first one was Macbeth that Owen directed. The second one was As You Like It that I directed. And we live streamed it. We had, oh my God, I think a total of like 2,400 people watched the performances, you know? Oh uh, my God. Yeah. And from that, we started working with another theater. And now Owen has been named artistic director of the Schoolhouse Theater in Westchester. So it's crazy. That is amazing. Well, you know, and you know what you did, though, in the heart of everything that was going on last year, you didn't sit around. Oh, what do I do? You said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put on a podcast and we are going to provide those who are home in lockdown with some entertainment. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, and it is educational, but we've also done like this. The very last episode we did was called Seasonal Shakespeare. And it was just because Owen and I were talking and we both hate the fact that we turn to we go from daylight savings time to Eastern Standard. Okay. So this podcast was about all of the references to spring, summer, winter. Yes, yeah, so you themed. And fall. Yeah, in awesome. Shakespeare, you know, we read a bunch of the sonnets, we discussed them. But we've also, you know, done episodes like I have a dear friend, Alvin Keith, who was in the, the Windfall, which is the Jason mm-hmm. Alexander play I did. Broadway actor, African-American, incredibly trained, you know, Alabama mm-hmm. Shakespeare. And we had him on for an episode we called Racial Shakespeare. Oh, um, wow. And we okay. wanted to discuss, you know, whether he thought there was racism, not just in theater, but specifically in classical theater. So Bardcast, everybody on your podcast, subscribe to this. It's extraordinary. It's all about Shakespeare and you'll get to hear Lisa Ann. And all right. So Lisa Ann, I know we've just discussed your professional life, but I know that there is something you hold near and dear to your heart in your personal life, you and Dom are together. And however, you have not just a bunch of kids, but the furry children. Yeah, no, Don and I don't have any human children, (laughs) uh, but we, we do have a Brady Bunch household. We have nine cats, a dog, and an axolotl. And all of them are rescues. We have two patios built onto two separate sides of our house so that the cats can, because we don't let them outside, right? I'm a New Yorker. Cats go outside, they get hit by cars. So we have these catios that are, one is 10 feet, one is 15 feet above the ground. Amish built with a real roof. They're unbelievable. You can put four human men out there so they can go outside. That's wonderful. And I know that's that's a huge part of your heart. All right, Lisa Ann, I want to know if you can't say anything or if you can, do you have anything in the pipeline that we can look forward to? Nothing concrete. And okay. isn't that <laughs> that's like isn't that the perfect indicate 
it is so indicative of my life, right? Like I work a lot and then I have nothing, you well, know? Yeah. And I guess that's when, when I was talking about like looking forward to that kind of recognition that is bigger. I'm all about having work laid out in front of me. And I think too, well, we all know that an actor is always on a job search. Yeah. But we also know there is a threshold, as you said, which is in your pipeline. I do believe you're going to hit that. Everybody knows you in Pittsburgh, the theater community in New York. I think your name is going to really, it's its going to get out. Linda, if only everybody in the world thought like you, but as my mother would have said, from your mouth to God's ears. And God's ears are big. He hears you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just keep drinking the coffee and saying, God, I need a job. (laughs) Well, listen, Lisa, Ann, I am, you know what? I am so glad you got on this. I'm really thankful for you because this is the week of Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is every day to me and we have so much to be grateful for. And I'm certainly, I'm blessed for the people that are around me, including you, Lynn. (laughs) 